and welcome to On Focus, brought to you by the Focal Therapy Clinic, where we connect you with issues facing men diagnosed with prostate cancer that are little known, less understood, and almost never talked about. Prostate cancer is now the most commonly diagnosed cancer in the UK, and with this somber fact comes a multitude of challenges and opportunities. I'm Claire Delmar. Joining me today is Chris Lewis, award-winning global cancer campaigner and creator of Chris's Cancer Community, where thousands of members engage regularly with Chris's insightful blogs and take inspiration for their own cancer journeys. Chris, thanks for joining me. Claire, it's a great honor. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, um, and on such a beautiful day as well. So whenever people are listening to this, I hope they can imagine this beautiful Indian summer day in, in the UK. It certainly is one of the one of the rare ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll agree with you on that. So, Chris, we've got a lot to talk about. I think overall, I really want to hear about the community and how you can help people who are diagnosed with cancer, and, and specifically for for most of our listeners, men and their families um, who have been diagnosed with, with prostate cancer. So, I'd like to start off by asking you when you set up Chris's Cancer Community. When was that, and what were the issues that drove you, and of course, the challenges you faced at that time. So it was way back in 2012, I set up Chris's Cancer Community. Just to put a little bit of background on that, I, I got cancer, I got an incurable cancer in 2007, a blood cancer, and I had a stem cell transplant and lots of very, very complex treatment. And mm-hmm. that introduced me to the world of cancer. I'm now full, fully paid up member of the club, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but uh, I realised once I had my own personal cancer experience that actually things weren't as advertised. In other words, the support was very poor, I found. Uh, I didn't find anything joined up at all particularly. And, and it was a great upset to me, not just for myself, because I'm quite a forward guy and I don't have any problems finding things that I need, but actually for other vulnerable people. And I use that word vulnerable because that's what people tend to become once they uh, hear the word cancer. Yes, indeed. Uh, so I was very upset that uh, I saw cancer patients you know, once you hear the word cancer, I saw discrimination against people with cancer, uh, things like insurance, uh, all sorts of things, jobs, you know, mortgages, banks don't want to lend to you once you've got cancer. And these were things that I was seeing for the first time. And I, I said to my wife, look, I know I have a very poor prognosis, but this is something I need to do something about. You know, they need to hear from the horse's mouth what actually is going on you know fancy tv adverts by charities and the like are just not cutting it anymore Hmm. so chris's cancer community was born in 2012 it took me a few years to get back on my feet if you like from the from the cancer treatment and everything that had gone on with in my life because of that and back in 2012 the internet wasn't such a you know it wasn't a vast thing I'd had no experience whatsoever of the internet. You know, I'm really from the the dinosaur days of if I want to speak to somebody, I pick up a phone. So Mm -hmm. this was all new to me. And friends of mine said, oh, you know, if you really want to be a voice, it's not just in the UK, you need to be the voice. You need to be all over the world. And I said, well, how on earth am I going to do that? So they started me off a very simple website, not the one I have today. And Chris's Cancer Community was born. Wow. So the issues are quite common when, when you enter social media. So first of all, we all start with no followers, right? And everyone looks at my social media following and laughs. But mm. actually, I started with zero followers on it, on any platform. I didn't really know what I was doing. So it was a bit sort of suck it and silly. Mm-hmm. But I was very passionate about what I was writing for. So 
I created the community, not just for me, really. I was interested what other people's views were. Was it only me that was finding these things? Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't, you know, what were the other people finding? So I put this out onto the internet and I thought, you know, who's going to see this? I, I had it... Uh, in my mind, spinning round cyberspace, my post. <laughs> mm-hmm. But actually, you know, people started to engage with it. And the longer I went on, I found I had an audience, uh, crazy as it may seem. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it certainly was to me anyway. It built very slowly and organically. And actually, it, it gave me a lot of information and gave me some data, you know, some really early data about what other people were feeling. Yeah, and experiencing. Um, Yeah, exactly, exactly. When you're going through cancer, you think you're the only one that's going through those issues. But actually, the reverse is true. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. the internet has been a great medium uh, for us to join like minds, if you like, Mm -hmm. uh, across the world. The challenges I faced was getting it out there, really, because all the big charities, all the big organisations of healthcare, drug companies, you know, they've all got all these internets and they've got people working on them, websites, all fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. So one of the issues I faced was was getting my stuff recognised. Mm-hmm. But um, I never found it really any different to my normal life. And, th- and that was, I always stuck with my principles of, of being honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't pretend on the internet that I was something that I wasn't. So I just stuck to the honesty and I wrote all the posts you know, really from my heart and other people shared it. Mm-hmm. And and we just had a really great, really human community, nothing to do with charities or any of those things. Right. It, it was just how we were feeling. It was very sort of independent of anything else, really. So how big is the community today? Well, that's always a difficult one to judge. So on my social media, I suppose across my platforms, I have about 50,000 followers. Wow. Which is, I mean, I don't know how you judge that, to be honest, because when you look at footballers and pop stars, you know, they're into the millions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I do know when I look around on the cancer platforms, there, there aren't many uh, individual players, you know, not, not like big organisations, but individuals that have that sort of following. And I suppose, you know, I'm only talking about cancer day in and day out. So it's not fashion, it's not food. <laughs> Do you find the issues change? Do you find that you're responding as much from hearing what your members say to each other as to what you're picking up because you have links to, you know, various policymakers and health providers? Yeah, very much so, Claire. Uh, And to be honest with you, that's what stimulates me. That's what really stimulates me about social media and my website and everything else in the fact that every single day I get up, there's a different issue. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's my, my own issues or issues that other people have raised, mm-hmm. uh, every, every day there is a very different issue. And of course, now we've got COVID, you know, you throw that into the mix and, and there are so many issues mm. for us. You, you know, cancer, it's nonstop. It's, it's vast work, Claire, as I'm, I'm sure you're very much aware, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm well aware that, you know, you, you've just mentioned COVID. So I wanted to ask you um, about that. I mean, you've been a particularly strong voice for the cancer patients that have been delayed um, or compromised in any way by COVID-19. Can, can you talk about how this has played out? Yeah, I can. Uh, and it's been basically frustration, Claire, over, over the time. 
I've been running this blog now since 2012. And every now and again, I look back for some some old content. And every few years, I'm seeing the same things come up, you, you know, mm-hmm. cancer, poverty, lack of action, those sort of things. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's that's been the same for me over eight years. Mm-hmm. And so for me, with COVID, the things that have shown up now with COVID and cancer, that I just couldn't. I've got a bit of a voice, of course, now in the community. I'd say I'm an influencer. A lot of people don't like that word, but when I say something, people do listen. So I I guess that there is some sort of influence there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I just couldn't sit back anymore and watch people die unnecessarily uh, because of treatment they're not receiving when they should do. You know, I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about organisation. You know, everybody these days, all they want to talk about is money, but that's not what I want to talk about. So let me just ask you quickly, I mean, because you're such a global influencer, and I will use your term influencer, I can see that. You must have found, you know, I mean, obviously COVID has affected everybody across the world. And have you found cancer patients delayed everywhere, or is there some kind of ranking or how do you help people in systems that you're less familiar with because you're based in the UK? Actually, I'm, I'm quite well familiar <laughs> with most of the, wow. the cancer systems around the world, uh-huh. uh, you know, particularly the US. Uh, I have a lot of followers in the US, but but uh, all around Europe and, and pretty much, you know, I've travelled across the world. I've, I've, I've spoken in a lot of countries mm-hmm. uh, and I have a lot of followers, a lot of clinicians, not only patients, but I have a lot of followers uh, that are clinicians from around the world. And quite frankly, cancer is the same problem. You know, we make a lot of things complex, to be honest with you, <laughs> uh, that shouldn't really be complex. And basically the problems around cancer are global. It's not just the UK. We're not only having this problem. You look at the States. Mm-hmm. Right? You look at Canada, areas that don't have the sort of health service that we have and we've, we've become reliant on, of course. So there are so many different issues, Claire, from, from around the world, but the principles are roughly the same. The treatment, for whatever the reason, whether you're paying for it or you're not paying for it, <laughs> your treatment is delayed. Uh, and you're seeing that be- everywhere. Every single place I look. And you know, the, the real big factor for me, the real one that kept it for me to turn me into a bit of action, if you like, is the fact that, that how COVID dominated the world, the world, right? Yes, it's a, it's a frightening thing, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But actually, there will be a lot more people that die of cancer than will ever die of COVID, ever. And basically, we will find a cure to COVID or we will find a way of living with COVID. Mm -hmm. But actually, cancer, we won't and we haven't. And basically, what what frustrated me more than anything was to see everybody come together, which is a positive thing. (laughs) That's a positive thing Mm -hmm. to to fight this COVID-19, right? It's, It's great to see labs and and charities and and everybody do their very, very best to get rid of this COVID-19. But why doesn't this happen with cancer? That's Mm. what I don't understand. Cancer is not one disease for Mm. anyone who gets confused. Mm. We know it's much more complex than that. But Mm. I don't understand that if we can work together around the world against COVID, which we must, why can't we do it with cancer? How are you campaigning to support these patients? Is this kind of the backdrop to it about, you know, sort of one campaign? It's not one campaign. I mean, let's be honest, this is, uh, we're in a different world now with internet and internet, you know, 
that you, your campaign can be drowned out <laughs> at, at a whim. There's a lot of naughty things going on on the internet. Absolutely. Uh, so my principal of the campaign, uh, I've joined together with a lady called Jo Taylor, who's, again, probably an influencer. She, she's in the breast cancer sector. UK. Oh, yeah. And uh, we, we have very similar views of we want, we want action. You know, we've had plenty of talking over our time. Jo, jo I think, was diagnosed. Uh, just slightly after I was. So we've we've seen talking. We know what the problems are. We've raised awareness. You know, everybody's aware of the issues, but mm-hmm. actually what we haven't got is action. So we looked at it. We had a couple of chats. And, and basically the players, so I'm talking UK now particularly, okay. mm-hmm. it's pretty much the same across the world. So the players are cancer, cancer charities who, who like to be known for their campaigning. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say now currently they're just uh, in a self-survival mode mm. because of COVID they're getting no money and they're not sure how many staff they're going to have so they're busy looking after themselves not mm-hmm. in a bad way but that you know that's that's the fact of life yes they're not in any great position to uh, to shout out on behalf of patients politicians it's quite obvious they're not bothered about cancer because there's enough publicity going on about the cancer issues in this country and across the world. But quite frankly, all that is doing is getting drowned out by COVID. So what we decided was the only way that we could make a difference was to give other patients the confidence to share their stories. And there are some really, really tough stories. I'm sure you've seen plenty in the sector you're in. And because people... Let's be honest, you, you know, if you're feeling very poorly and you're feeling very vulnerable, the last thing you want to do is, inverted commas, fight yep. uh, the system for the things that you should be entitled to. And, you know, people haven't been doing that. We've let the big boys, you know, they, they come up with a campaign. They spend millions on that. They give us a few little um, sound bites on the television. And we think, you know, these big charities, they're doing their work. But actually, you know, that's nothing. They spend millions of pounds on that and nothing ever happens, let's be fair. It's just promoting their names. Uh, but we want to see action. And so what we've tried to do, Joe and I, we, we called it Patients Together, hash, hashtag Patients Together. And that's because we want to get give people the confidence to share their stories, tough as they are. Mm-hmm. Because on the internet, you know, the, the, the Twitter, when people are seeing those stories, we're gathering much more support when those are, are public. You know, when you give them to a, a charity with greatest respect, mostly they use it for their own purposes, for fundraising or, in, or something else like that. It's very rarely used to change the system. Hmm. And so by making noise, we hope to shape the government that way, let's say. Okay, let me just ask a quick question about the charities because. Um I agree with you. There, first of all, there are many. Not and again, globally, of course. But even in the UK, there are quite. There are some big ones, and then there are some small ones. And there's some arguments about why there are so many. But the second question is certainly with regard to the big ones. And I'm just going to challenge you a little bit on your point about what they do. I mean, my understanding is that certainly I can name a few of the big ones that actually spend a lot of their money on very important, cutting-edge research. You know, with the end goal of you know new discoveries, new drugs, new devices, you know, new diagnostic procedures, yeah. um, you know, to reduce the the impact of cancer. So yes, I understand that's been you know obviously curtailed and compromised during 
COVID, but um, do you not see a future for them working in alignment with you know the community you've built so that your community can inform them? I'd love to see that clear, but quite mm -hmm. frankly, I mean, I know virtually every CEO of every cancer charity in this country. Mm -hmm. Most cancer charities I do some work for in some form or another, whether it's a consulting basis or voluntary, mm -hmm. uh, they all know me, including the biggest ones. Mm -hmm. uh, but the biggest ones are the, the most difficult to get any form of collaboration from. They have their own agenda. They might not see me as a good advocate, if you know what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, because I speak out. I speak on behalf of patients. I criticise their work at times, right? You know, I'm not on their payroll. I, I'm here as a recipient of service. And quite frankly, most, let's say, don't give value for money. You know, the charity pound, most of them make that into 30p, if you're lucky. Mm. You know, I've got my own little charity and every charity pound I get is like £100. You know, look, a lot of charities do good things. I'm not on here to bash charities. Yeah, uh, It could course. be a whole lot better, but they don't work with patients on the whole because they're worried. Patients speak out. They're worried about their own brands and their own fundraising mm -hmm. tends to come before that. Yes. <clears throat> they work with patients, but they're tame patients. They're supporters of the charity anyway. They're not really independent. So right. I've spoken to two or three major charities here, and all I can do really with them is embarrass them on social media because <laughs> to try and get any collaboration from them is almost impossible. Okay. <laughs> so if I could just move a little bit towards towards patients themselves and, and, and direct this more around those with prostate cancer, I know we've spoken before about your work with um, a prostate cancer support group in South London. So I'd like to ask you what you see as the most common theme amongst this group and what advice you would give to someone newly diagnosed with prostate cancer. Uh, so I got into the cost, I, I, as you say, I do the prostate cancer support group and, and that was a new world for me. So I've been doing that for 10 years. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And um, it, it's a local group to me. I wanted to give something back to the local community for me. Mm. That was important. Mm -hmm. And it was important not to be involved in my own disease. So uh, I, I, they offered me a role there to do prostate cancer. And I thought, that's, that's good. I'll learn something from this because I didn't really know much about prostate cancer. Okay. Uh, but now I do. Yeah. <laughs> After 10 years yeah. of working with the guys, right? And, yeah. and the answer to your question, the first answer of that, the most common, is confusion on diagnosis and treatment options. Basically, that, without question, is the number one. You, as you well know, you're in the sector of prostate cancer, and there are many, many different ways of dealing with it. Yes. Um, of course, there are different degrees of prostate cancer, right? Let, let's make that clear. Using the pussycat example, there are big ones and small ones. Mm -hmm. uh, but... You know, it's it's a very very confusing issue, and I and I can understand why that exists, that confusion. Because if you're, to, you know, what I find from from the experience of talking to these guys is that if you know if they're talking to a surgeon, the surgeon would always want to remove the prostate, mm. always because that's what he does, right? But then if you talk to somebody else, they will obviously promote whatever bits they're doing. So I don't think it's made clear enough is my is my opinion because these guys you know every new guy we get has got the same issue so it, it mm. seems it's not made clear enough that there are various alternatives to 
the first offer of treatment. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering if um, part of the confusion is because there are these different stages in, in the diagnostic process, not, not to mention different approaches to it. And is it a question of being more joined up or is it something different? Uh, probably a combination of the two, personally okay. speaking. Okay. Um, I think the, the, the joined up thing you talk about is, is an issue throughout cancer, by the way, <laughs> not just prostate cancer, but that's an issue throughout throughout healthcare, I would suggest. But yeah, yeah. My, my experience in cancer is that it's not joined up as, as good as it could be. And I'd say, yes, that, that's partly it, I would say. But also... My experience is that, that anybody who's got diagnosed with cancer, particularly guys, because we're not, you know, we're not good in those situations at all. Mm-hmm. We leave it late generally to go and see the doctor because we're, you know, we're big tough guys. We don't go to the doctors frequently as we should. And we don't talk about it very often. So once you hear that word cancer, you, you, I know for most of these guys, they just want to get it out of them, whether that's the best thing or not. They actually, they just want to get rid of their cancer mm-hmm. psychologically. Yes. So a lot of guys go for the operation to have their prostate removed when that might not necessarily be the best thing. So what advice do you do you give to a lot of these men in your in your groups? And that's easy as well. Uh, take your time because basically. You know, everybody thinks that when you've got a diagnosis of cancer, uh, you know, that needs removing in the next day or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thankfully, in a lot of cases, it isn't that at all. Yes. Uh, that's only the start of, of a longer process where you do actually, you know, in, in most cases of prostate cancer, uh, you probably die with it rather than of it. Yes. Um, so, you know, there is a bit more time than I think the patient perceives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when they hear that word cancer. Yes. Chris, I'm afraid we're running out of time, um, but I want to thank you so much for your very, very valuable, very personal insights. Um, and, and I hope we can speak again soon, maybe more specifically about, about men and, and how they perceive their choices with prostate cancer. So, so thank you. Uh, thanks very much. If you'd like to engage with Chris and Chris's cancer community, visit his website at www.chris-cancercommunity.com. Follow him on Twitter, where he is known as Chris the Eagle, using the hashtag Patients Together, or find him on Facebook at Chris's Cancer Community. And to learn more about patient experiences with prostate cancer, visit us at www.thefocaltherapyclinic.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And for me, Claire Delmar, see you next time. Mm-hmm.